This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today's sermon from our Maundy Thursday service is by Canon Stephen Gautier and is part two of our Holy Week 2016 series. You know, it's easy to sort of drift off over time. You know, in businesses, it happens all the time. I think back, my wife and I, many years ago, lived in Nashville, Tennessee. And what happened then, I remember, there was a, one of our favorite eating places. What had happened, we had some immigrants who had come to Nashville, and they had a grocery store. And it's hard to believe they must, the health inspectors must have been looking very closely, but they just put a table in the back, a little vinyl table sort of on the side, not unbelievably simple, and they had food there. And the food was extraordinary. I mean, this truly was amazing. And so the word got around. People began coming, and they put in a second table, and then a third. The food was incredible. You just wouldn't believe it. And so they actually opened up a restaurant, and then they opened up a, a, uh, another one. And something odds happened, though, is over time, somehow the really great food got lost. I mean, they had the restaurant looked a lot nicer, and people were still nice, but you know, this incredible food somehow got lost in the process. I don't know where. Somewhere along the way, they just forgot about the one really important thing. In a more serious vein, I think we all have encountered the same phenomenon in our personal lives, haven't we, if we've lived it at all? We know wonderful couples, for example, who start out are tremendously in love, madly in love with each other. But somehow, over the years, they get so wrapped up in doing the things married people do, the house, the job, the kids, that they sort of lose sight of each other And a decade or two later, they sort of wake up strangers. How did that happen? Well, somehow along the way, they forgot about the one really important thing. And we have the same challenge in our walk of faith. How do we avoid sort of drifting off? How do we avoid forgetting the one really important thing? Now, the answer in all three of these cases is that we get back to first things. If you're in a business or personal life, if you're in the restaurant business, ultimately it all goes back to the food. You've got to pay attention to the food. Nothing will make up for the fact of having good food. And in a marriage and a family, the core of a marriage and a family is a man and woman who love each other. Nothing else will make up for that. And so, too, in our faith, the scriptures tell us in Hebrews 2, it says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. So what have we heard? What is it that we're supposed to pay closer attention to? Well, what's the core gospel message? If we look in the New Testament in Acts of the Apostles, we see the very first sermons that are preached when people are coming to the Lord, the Holy Spirit is upon them, What is that core message of Jesus? Now, we might think, based on how society looks at Jesus, that it must be Jesus' teachings. It must be the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Or what about the Great Commandment? Or what about the Golden Rule? Or what about the parables of Jesus, like the Good Samaritan? It must be, that must really be the core. But that's not any of those things. It's not what Jesus taught. It's who Jesus is and what Jesus did. 
That is the core of the faith, who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And what did he do? His death and resurrection, which are inseparable. It's one thing. We can never separate his death and his resurrection. They go together. And what that death and resurrection, the promise it holds for us. Paul says in Romans, he says, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united to him in a resurrection like his. That's what it's all about. It always comes back to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how we participate in that. Now, am I saying that the teachings of Jesus aren't important? God forbid. No, of course not. But you know something? We can never have Jesus as our teacher until we've met him and accepted him as our crucified and risen Lord. It can't happen. We cannot have Jesus as our teacher unless we have him as our crucified and risen Lord. This is the story of the apostles. When we read the Gospels again and again over three years, the Lord tells these things clearly, but what happens, they don't understand until the resurrection. When they meet the resurrected Jesus, then they understand. Paul says, he says in the synagogues, he says, people are reading the same scriptures, but he says, until a man turns to the Lord, it's like there's a veil over their face. He says, but when they turn, suddenly the veil is removed. That veil is removed when we turn and meet the, the, the Christ who died for us and rose for us. So consequently, since this is so important, the church from the very beginning has urged us never to forget that it always comes down to the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, the very first commemoration the church had was, you know, we talked about marriages. You talk about some people have a date night. The church's version of a date night was once a week remembering the Lord's death and resurrection. This is Sunday. The church felt once every week we had to get together and remember the Lord's death and resurrection. Before there were any church calendar, any, before there was an Easter, before anything else, every week, we remembered the Lord's death and resurrection. And as things went along and we developed the first church calendar, long before any other feast, the first thing we commemorated was sort of like a, a, a marriage anniversary was Easter, an annual memory of the Lord's death and resurrection. So this is the church is always telling us, whether it be every week or once a year in our greatest feast, that it always comes back, not to what Jesus taught as precious as that is to us, to who he is and what he did, his death and resurrection. Now, we're supposed to remember Jesus' death and resurrection. But what does it really mean? What does it really mean to remember his death and resurrection? How do we do that? Well, on Holy Thursday, Maundy Thursday, Jesus himself has shown us the way. Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it for the remembrance of me. Do this for the remembrance of me. Now, what do we mean by that? This is a very special type of remembrance. This isn't a moment of silence where we bow our heads. It's very, very different. It's not a mental journey into the past. 
It's not nostalgia or reminiscence. It's the transformation of the past into a living, present reality. This is the story of the word remember in the Old Testament. God doesn't forget. Remembering means God takes action on a past promise. When it says, God remembered Noah, it's right before the flood goes down. God remembered Noah, and it says he sent a wind. God remembered Abraham. God remembered Rachel. Each time is God takes an action in the present. Remembrance isn't about the past. Remembrance is bringing the past into a living presence. And we see this in the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians when he explains what does it mean when we eat the bread and drink the cup. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? He's not talking about something long ago. He's talking about something right now. So we're not talking about something that happened to the apostles then, way back then, although it did. We're talking about something that is happening right here and right now. The past made a living and present reality. You know, it's not a remembrance of the Last Supper long ago. It's a perpetual, eternal supper that doesn't end till the end of time. Look at our bulletin verse. was, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Yes, it started then, it continues now, it will continue into the future all the way to the return of the Lord. So what do we mean by participating? What does that mean, remembering by participating in his body, participating in his blood? First of all, let's look at the, the blood, the life, the wine. One of the important things we all know about kosher food, right? We know that Jews eat special foods. This is a sign of their, of their covenant with God. And we know there are certain foods Jews don't eat, like pork and shellfish and things. But something universal among foods that you can't eat is they have to be butchered in a kosher way, which is the primary thing involved is making sure to drain the blood. That's the number one thing involved with being kosher. And why? Because the Old Testament prohibited eating blood. And it says, why does it tell us we can't eat blood? It says, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. The blood is the very life. That belongs to God alone. You can have the flesh after the life gone, but the life belongs to God alone. It's sacred. It's never eaten. What Jesus tells us amazingly now is he commands us to do with himself is what forbidden for everything else. He commands us to actually take his own life, to take it into ourselves. Jesus tells us it in John 6. He says, Jesus said to them, truly, I, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. That's the life of Jesus we're talking about. And I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So we share. Jesus is the great I am. Right? We have that come across. The great I am. The one who knows not God has no beginning, no end. He is. He's the eternal one. And when we participate in Jesus, we share in God's own life. We are invited to participate in God's own life. This is why eternity. One of the great fathers of the church, Ignatius of Antioch, you know, in the second century, he famously said he called it the medicine of immortality. 
Our great illness is the fact of death. It cures us of death because we take in Christ's own life. And what about the bread? The bread reminds us that we become living members of Christ's body. We don't don't come into Christ's life alone. We always do it together. We come into Christ's body. Um, It says, because there is one bread, this is in the previous chapter, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Let's listen to that again. Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. It means that our partaking of his body and blood actually makes us one. We call this the doctrine of the communion of saints. Sometimes we think, of, isn't that about the saints in heaven? It is, but the heart of it is saying is we gather around the table, we are made one body, and the union we have will never end. It continues forever. It's never broken. This is why at our Eucharistic prayer, before we have the holy, 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 there's always some form of mentioning along with the angels, the company of heaven, those who have preceded us who are are worshiping with here every time we gather at the table. I love, our bishop reminded us 62 years ago on Palm Sunday, we were found in so many blessed men and women gave so much who are now gone. They're with the Lord. They are with us every time we break bread at this table. They surround us with the saints. The angels and saints surround us as we gather with all Christians around that table. We join with the company of heaven to whoever sing this hymn to the glory of your name. Now, why is this participation so important for us in our spiritual life? Well, the early church taught, the New Testament, the early church taught us that Israel's story is a preview of our story. It's a beautiful story of its own. God's faithfulness to Israel is forever. But it's a preview of an even broader story for all of us. And what's that story? Remember, we have the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves. They had lost their freedom. And God brings them out of slavery, you know, across the Red Sea. They cross the Red Sea and are freed. Unless there be any doubt. After all, Pharaoh could build boats. He could go around the Red Sea. He had done that before. The bodies, right, the waters come back over the Egyptians and the bodies wash up over the shore to prove they would never, ever be subject to Pharaoh again. Those days were gone. But God's promise was that they would have the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. They were not in the promised land. I still have this image when I think of that time. Some little kid must have looked at that time when they crossed the Red Sea and say, Mommy, are we here yet? Because it looked like a desert because it was. There's a difference between they were fully saved in the sense they fully had come into freedom, but they were not in the fullness of that promise, which would only be when they crossed the Jordan and entered the promised land. How do they get from here to there? How do you get from here to How do you live in a desert? They needed the food of that promised land, but they needed it now, not then. They needed a foretaste of that food, and that foretaste was the manna. God gave them bread from heaven, which was manna, which sustained them for 40 years. And when does the manna stop? The first day they eat food in the promised land. Well, this is our story as well, we're told in the New Testament. The scriptures tell us our baptism is our own personal crossing of the Red Sea. I love when we have the the, the anointing, we say, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. The, 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 The chains of Satan are broken forever. He never rules us again. He will never have that power over us. But God's promise is that we will actually see him in our resurrection bodies. We will see God 
face to face, as Paul says. They call this, the theologians, I love, they call it the beatific vision. Beatific is simply Latin. It means the, the, the vision that makes you happy, the only thing that will really make us happy. What we were created to see was to see God. This is, what, this is the promise. Until then, so we've come out of the slavery of sin. The fullness of the promise is not until then. What do we do between those two points? Because we're not there now. We do not yet see God face to face. What do we do between those two points? And this is the role of Holy Communion. Jesus himself, when he talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, he compares himself to the manna. He says, I'm the true bread from heaven. He is his power. It's the strength of that food, of his, of his own life. It's that alone which brings us from here to there. That's the connection of baptism and Eucharist. Baptism brings us across the Red Sea, but Eucharist takes us into the promised land. That's the connection. So why do we need communion? Well, the church loved to, the greatest prophet in the Old Testament was the prophet Elijah. Remember in the Lord that we have something called the transfiguration. The Lord appears in the New Testament, and we have Moses, the sign of the law, and we have Elijah, the sign of the greatest of the prophets. And so we have Elijah, and the church always saw Elijah's life, an incident in his life, as a story of the Eucharist, a beautiful story. I remember it particularly because as a little boy, one of our family's favorite churches had inscribed in Latin the words that I'm going to read to you. I remember my dad telling me, here's what it meant. You know, here's what this meant, so the communion rail. So at the story of Elijah, there are two great moments in Elijah's life. One was that the prophet of God, he had a contest with the prophets of Baal, a false god. And his contest was on Mount Carmel. He challenged him. He said, okay, you put up basically an altar, and I'll put up an altar. And without actually setting fire, let's see whose God can actually, can actually light this fire to show who's God. And the prophets of Baal go on and on all morning long, and nothing happens. And Elijah calls down that fire. By the way, that's what we do with the Epiclesias. Lord, send your Holy Spirit. That's what we're saying, like Elijah, send your spirits. That's what makes it the body and blood of Christ. Send your spirit now on the sacrifice, and it lit up. It was a great moment. Another great moment in Elijah's life was like Moses, he actually saw God. A full theophany, like Moses, where God passed by him. You know, he's called to Mount Horeb, you know, and he there sees God like Moses does, has a, has a theophany. But there is a terrible moment between those two. Between the, after the contest of Baal, the people who supported Baal weren't actually pleased with this. So Jezebel, who was tireless for evil, uh, basically was out to, went after him. He had to hide, and he was in a terrible place. He was discouraged. He was ready to give up, exhausted. He felt all alone. At one point, he said, I'm the only one left. I love this. A paragraph later, God gently reminds him, well, actually, there are 7,000, but we'll talk about that later. Okay, but, uh, <laughs> but he really felt all alone, all oppressed. And what happens at that moment? It's an incredible moment. It says he lay down and slept. He was so discouraged, so tired. He actually said, I'd rather be dead. He said he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and beheld, and there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose. This is what was on the communion rail that I love. And he arose and ate and drank and walked in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. 
So on Maundy Thursday, you might wonder where the term Maundy comes from. I'm sure it's in the bulletin somewhere, but the Latin word for it, this is the night Jesus gives us his new commandment. You are to love one another, not just love one another. Love as I love. You know, there's a kind of love we can have which is genuine and valuable. But the love of Jesus on the cross is the love that doesn't hold anything at all back. It's love we will see with the foot washing. That says, I will be the, the servant of all. I will hold nothing back. That's the great commandment. Not just love one another, love as I have loved you. This is not possible. We cannot do this without Christ's own strength. We can do this with Christ in us can do this. We cannot do this. We need that strength. But we've given, been given the food for that journey, the food that will nourish us and strengthen us all the way home in our walk with God. So our celebration of these great three days, the great three days, reminds us that we need to remember the one thing that's really important, the very core of our faith, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And remember, this is not a memory, a recollection of some time far ago, a present and living reality. I bet there are a lot of us here who feel like Elijah that day under the broom tree. We feel overwhelmed. Maybe we had one of those moments, but that was in the past. That's not where we are today. Maybe we had our own Mount Carmel experience, but that's not where we are today. We're burdened by responsibilities. We're tormented with anxieties. Basically, our life somehow has become drained of joy. What do we do? We want to give up. Eat and drink and walk in the strength of that food to God's holy mountain. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Let us keep the feast. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.